Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicherian, former NFL scout and now of Sports Info Solutions, joined by Aaron Schatz, the godfather of football analytics and the founder of Football Outsiders. We've got our producer, Justin Stein, with us, and we are back to break down the most important games this week. Aaron, how are you enjoying the snow in, uh, in the Boston area today? I am enjoying it. Uh, I have not gotten out and shoveled yet. That's for after the podcast. I can't believe we've made it to week 15. I, I was just thinking that it's sort of incredible that we've made it this far. There's only three weeks to go in the regular season, which is wild. The fact that there's snow outside is like a good indicator that the season's almost over and we made it. It, uh, it really snuck up quick. It felt like uh, we were in molasses there for a while and now I'm with you. I cannot believe that it's week 15. It's almost surreal. Enough of that. Let's get into the football. What do we have to talk about this week in terms of the most important games? Well, we're going to start with a game that's not very important for the playoffs. And it's actually not that important for the Super Bowl either. But we're going to preview it because it's the biggest game of the week and the only game where two teams have winning records. And that's Kansas City at New Orleans. Now, because Kansas City, uh, because of their conference record, if Kansas City loses this game, it means basically nothing <laughs> to their odds of getting the first round by in the AFC. It's more meaningful for the Saints because if they lose this game, they need to get ahead of the Packers in the standings in order to get the number one seed. But for the Chiefs, this game is almost meaningless. But obviously, this is a really good like yardstick game for where both teams stand. Although, again, with a bit of a question mark because we still don't know who's going to play quarterback for New Orleans. Like, you know, all the discussion of the Saints as a possible Super Bowl contender, it's really based on the idea that Drew Brees will come back and be 100%. And what we know is we don't know if Drew Brees will play in this game. And if he does play in this game, it's very likely that he's not 100%. We've seen kind of the game script with Taysom Hill and how conservatively the Saints have played things. And for a while, they won some games. Finally, it kind of came back to bite them uh, in a way that, that that surprised a lot of people. But I think that it, this, is, this game in particular, whoever the quarterback is, you can't rely on that sort of a game script. This is your playing against Patrick Mahomes. You're going to need to score points in this game one way or another. So whether it's Drew Brees, James Winston, or Taysom Hill, I think they have to open it up more, kind of regardless. I mean, I will say the Chiefs are obviously really bad against the run. So if, you can, if, you're, if the Saints' defense can keep the Chiefs somewhat contained, then this is a good team to run against, right? They're 30th in run defense DVOA. They're 31st specifically against quarterbacks rushing. Uh, another really interesting weakness of the Chiefs, they're the worst team in the league in short yardage runs on both offense and defense. And the Saints happen to be really good at short yardage runs on both offense and defense. The Saints are the number one run defense, even though they gave up all that yardage to the Eagles last week and the Chiefs struggled to run the ball. And yet none of it may matter because Patrick Mahomes is just too good. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. He's, a, he's the great difference maker. Uh, but I'm not so convinced that, that, that it's just a sleepwalk game. We are going back in New Orleans, remember. The Saints are, are a really different team. Sean Payton uh, at home is is a tough. It's tough to play in that in that dome. So I think home field is big in this one. Uh, specifically, being able to for the Saints' offense to do the things that they really like to do. Based on what you're saying there, though, with the the running stuff, 
it sounds like it might make more sense to stay with Taysom Hill for another week, especially with the quarterback running. Where are you at on that one? I would still rather go with Breeze. I mean, I would rather have the threat of the run from, you know, Kamara, but the threat of the pass from Breeze. With Hill, there just isn't the same threat of the pass, um, especially like the downfield pass. Like, you know, he's completed a couple of deep balls, but a couple of them have really been ducks. And the Chiefs are 26th in pass defense DVOA over the last six weeks. You may remember that their pass defense was actually really good at the beginning of the season. But over the last few weeks, they, they have not been good on pass defense. It's one of the reasons why they keep playing close games, right? Like, I know that everybody believes that the Chiefs are by far and away the best team in the league. But by our numbers, they're not far and away the best team in the league. They're, like, by a slight amount, the best team in the league. Speaking of best team, best in the league, uh, Patrick Mahomes. Well, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is the best in the league. I well, there's been a lot of conversation about that last week. Who is the MVP? Is it Mahomes? Is it Aaron Rodgers? I don't think there's really a third choice if we're being if we're being serious here about how the race stands right now. Um, a lot of conversation about that. A lot of people coming around and saying uh, after Mahomes threw a few interceptions last week, even though you know tipped balls and Xavier Howard had a lot to do with that. Now it's Rodgers to lose. Sarah Thompson, SIS's new research analyst, she wrote about Mahomes and how he's the clear-cut MVP based on our statistics, which is funny to me because we were so pro Aaron Rodgers last year at SIS when everybody thought he was over the hill and we need to draft Jordan Love. Now we're the ones that are saying, actually, it's still been Mahomes who's been the MVP this year. And a lot of the reason we say that is, is total points. When you look at the total points, I mean, you look at rate stats for these two guys, they're neck and neck in a lot of different categories, everything from touchdown rate to sack rate, um, yards per attempt, completion percentage. But uh, the volume of plays that Mahomes has been involved in is just much more than Rodgers. He's had, I think, a little over 70 more dropbacks this year. And if you're producing at the same rate as somebody else, but you're doing it at greater volume, um, our numbers are going to come out and say that Mahomes is that guy. And, and to be honest, that matches the eyeball test for me. Yeah, and DVOA and DYAR totally agree with you there. The two of them are neck neck and neck in DVOA, but Mahomes has a clear lead in DYAR because, like you say, more volume. So right now, I would definitely I would give my MVP vote to Mahomes. It would definitely can change over the next three weeks, but right now, I think Mahomes is the MVP. We actually had Green Bay pass Kansas City in offensive DVOA this week. Uh, but the reason why Green Bay is higher is because they're much higher running the ball. In passing the ball, Kansas City is still a little bit ahead. So that makes sense and sort of adds up there. I'm always interested in the different quarterback evaluation metrics. You know, a lot of things are, are can be team passing metrics versus individual player metrics and all the debate uh, about sacks and stuff like that. This one, I don't think you can go wrong with either of the two guys. But, but I do think that if the season ended today, it'd be clear cut who I would vote for. Yeah, I would I would vote for Mahomes also and knock it off. People need to knock it off with this if Derrick Henry gets to 2000 yards nonsense. Oh, I hadn't even heard about that. That's that's funny. Given that way Mahomes, you know, if this was a year where no quarterback was having a stellar year, I still would vote for a quarterback, but I kind of understand why other voters would not. With the years that Mahomes and Rodgers are having, you have no excuse to vote for a running back this year. Yeah, I think I think that's silly. Uh, Derrick Henry's unbelievable. He's been ridiculous this year, but th- that's silly. One, just one other thing I want to bring up about this game. Looking at uh, pass coverage against different types of receivers, there were a couple that sort of stood out to me. 
The first is Kansas City is only 31st covering running backs in the passing game. Kamara has been such a small part of the passing game for New Orleans since Hill became the quarterback. And I think some of that is because on plays where Drew Brees would dump it off, Hill looks to run. But I think they need to get Kamara into roots. Given what Kansas City's strengths and weaknesses are and the weakness of their off-ball linebackers, I think they need to specifically get Kamara into roots and get Hill throwing to him. That might be the number one reason, uh, well, of many, why you really would want Breeze in over Taysom Hill. Because like you mentioned, Taysom Hill has not been getting the ball to Alvin Kamara in the passing game at all. That's been a, a huge difference. I know all my fantasy football playing friends have more than noticed it. I'm with you there. That That is uh, is a key matchup that, that they could exploit. The other one is New Orleans is weaker efficiency-wise against wide receivers, but they're number two against tight ends. So can they possibly keep Travis Kelsey sort of contained? Kelsey is on pace for either the best or second best tight end season of all time. But can they possibly keep him a little bit contained? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. For all the things that you know, we can break down and analyze about this, a part of me just thinks um, Sean Payton going against Steve Spagnola. We know those guys worked together in the past, and there's probably no love lost there. It'll be interesting to see what sort of tactic uh, Sean Payton comes out with in this game. Going back to your initial point that you said, I, I really could see them taking the approach of trying to bludgeon Kansas City, control the ball, control the clock, and do things that way. So uh, it'll be fascinating to see. Yeah, it's weird because on one hand, I am driving the Saints bandwagon this year, right? Of all the advanced metrics across the web, we are the highest on the Saints. On the other hand, I am absolutely not driving the Taysom Hill bandwagon. And this is if Taysom Hill is the starter in this game or it's Breeze and he's not 100%, I still think Kansas City is clearly the favorite to win. I think you're driving the bandwagon because your stats take into account that you expect Breeze to get back in there and a lot of other people just don't have that built into their statistics. So. I think by the time they get to the playoffs, Breeze will be the quarterback and Breeze will be 100%. And that defense has been really, really good, although you do have to account for the Week 12 game, right? The fact is... Like right now, we have New Orleans number one in overall weighted DVOA. But if you don't count their defense against Kendall Hinton, then we have Kansas City number one. That makes sense. Let's keep it moving and let's talk about some of the big games to make the playoffs this week. Yeah, the most important game for the playoffs is two losing teams. Six and seven Chicago at six and seven Minnesota. Basically, the loser is out. Chicago, 42% of the time they make the playoffs with a win, 3% with a loss. Minnesota, 27% with a win, 2% with a loss. This is the, basically the definition of a must-win game. And I'm looking in this elimination game on the Chicago side of things. Both Jalen Johnson and Buster Screen have injuries. So I don't know if the, what the status of those guys is going to be when it comes to game time. But if those guys are out, they're going to have a tough time matching up with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and that Minnesota offense. Right. Chicago's defense is number one covering wide receiver ones. And Kyle Fuller has been really good this year, but there's two guys. <laughs> you, can't, you can't eliminate one guy and then the other guy, who's going to cover the other guy? Right. Especially if those guys are injured. And then, you know, screen is their slot guy. Both Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen can do a lot of their work out of the slot. It, it, it'd be interesting to see where those receivers line up and what the health of the Chicago side of things is, because I think that makes a huge difference in terms of where the advantage is on that side of the ball. Uh, I will say that 
the Bears' defense declines to 15th when the opposing offense reaches the 40, right? We talk sometimes about red zone and how it's more inconsistent than, than defense overall. But it's interesting with the Bears' defense, the decline is, comes not just when you get to the 20, but when you get to the 40, like for that whole area when the, oppo- when the opposition gets to the Bears' side of the field. The Bears' defense is much better when they have a long field than when they have a short field. That's really interesting. I wonder if that is something that that plays out going forward or is just kind of splits happen. From the Minnesota side of things, uh, I was interested in what Kirk Cousins, uh, our analytics favorite quarterback, came in and said that quarterback sacks and sack rate uh, per dropback is an important quarterback stat. Um, so he's kind of getting on the the bandwagon that that people have been on and raising some red flags for people that that tend to think of that as more of an offensive line based thing. What did you make of Kirk Cousins coming out there and, and making that point? Yeah, good for him. I mean, it's good. He, he's sort of on, in line with analytics on that. I will say I don't agree with the idea that it's not at all an offensive line stat. It's a combination, uh, but it does seem that quarterbacks have more impact on it than the offensive line does because it actually stays constant from team to team when quarterbacks change teams. Just to explain that out a little bit further for the listeners – when you look at it and you study this, and people have repeated these studies, we've done them at SIS, when quarterbacks change teams, they tend to take their sack rates with them. So you can be playing in front of a whole different offensive line, and yet quarterbacks tend to get sacked at similar rates. It's an interesting thing. We, we think of sacks as this, I think historically football people think of it in terms of how good is your offensive line, that's going to correlate with how many sacks you have. But in actuality, your sack rate is going to have more to do with kind of the risk reward of being a quarterback, right? Are you going to keep holding that ball to push it down the field like Russell Wilson does? Or are you somebody who's getting the ball out of their hands quick um, and doing this, this, you know, what Roethlisberger has been doing this year, that sort of thing is going to have a much bigger effect on your, on your sack rate than you would think just off, off the top, just thinking, Oh, offensive line sacks, bad, no sacks. Good. Um, There's kind of more to the picture than that. Right. Some of it has to do with looking at the sacks, you know, like SIS categorizes sacks is either blown blocks or a rusher untouched or a coverage sack. And, you know, obviously the offensive line is a lot more responsible for a sack that's marked blown block, whereas the quarterback's style and decision making is a lot more responsible for something like a coverage sack or even a rusher untouched sack because, you know, the quarterback needs to adjust the blocking at the line. And, and we see that. We see that play out, too. I personally think that blown blocks are a really important piece to unlocking this sort of puzzle between sacks and pressures. Are they owned by the quarterback? Are they owned by the offensive line? Blown blocks allow us to do a whole lot there to kind of separate out where the responsibility is. And even more than saying this sack was because of a blown block and this sack wasn't because of a blown block, uh, what we can find is that the result of the play, right, even if it's thrown and it's not a sack, the result of the play is much more impacted by a blown block than it is by just like your typical run-of-the-mill pressure. And that totally makes sense, right? Uh, Chase Young beats me right off the line of scrimmage and gets in the quarterback's face within one second. That's going to have a huge effect on the play, whether the quarterback throws the ball away quickly or makes an ill-advised throw to try to get rid of the ball or has to tuck it and run to get out or just gets sacked right along there. It's not just the sack that can result from the blown block. So instead of measuring the result of the play, we can measure the result of, of the interaction, which I think uh, is really the key there. So understanding the difference between the blown block sacks and the other kinds of sacks, and then also incorporating timing data. We've, we've, we started timing 
the amount of time before the quarterback gets pressured this year, that's also a really key part of understanding what's going on here. We looked at quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, and we actually found that some of the time, it's not a bad thing for those guys to get pressured. It's not a bad thing for those guys to have high pressure rates because he's Russell freaking Wilson, and he loves to run around with the ball, and that's exactly what makes the defense miserable. Deshaun Watson is the same way. Yep, absolutely. So I loved that Kirk Cousins said that. Well, I liked that Kirk Cousins said that, and I would love if Kirk Cousins got even deeper into the nuance because I think it goes without saying that sacks are not have nothing to do with the don't have nothing to do with the offensive line. I think that's kind of a silly thing to say on on its face, but at the same time, understanding that that split and where the responsibility lies. There are better tools that we have besides sack rate and pressure rate to do that. There, there are people on the analytics Twitter who believe that you need to say things in the most extreme way possible in order to get attention. You know, I think they're right. And, and it, does, it does get you attention, but that's never been my modus operandi. So I, I would much rather say sacks are more a quarterback stat than an offensive line stat than I would say sacks are not at all an offensive line stat. So you know what's interesting is is the research that we've done, it really points to it more being about half the quarterback and about half the offensive line, or half the quarterback and half non-quarterback factors, basically. So yes, more important than any individual offensive lineman, but I think even saying that the quarterback has more to do with than the offensive line as a whole is kind of on the borderline of saying something that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, so you're right. There's just a ton more nuance there. Interesting. Back to Chicago at Minnesota, just briefly. David Montgomery, the running back for Chicago, has really broken out the last three games. 62% success rate compared to 40% before that. But part of that is just a very easy schedule, but that does continue. Minnesota's defense is better against the pass than it is against the run. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Montgomery be a big part of any Chicago win if Chicago can, in fact, win. Agree with you there. Um, David Montgomery, funny story about him. Early in the year when Chicago couldn't get anything going running the ball, John Dewan, the owner of Sports Info Solutions, kept reaching out to me and saying, why do we have David Montgomery as one of the better running backs in the league? They're not moving the ball at all in the run game. And the reason was because David Montgomery was playing fine. He was breaking tackles. He was getting more than the expected yards that he was going to get. But I think what's happened in the last month or so is the offensive line has sort of woken up and been able to meet him there a little bit. In part because of who they're playing against. Right. Partially the defense, 100%. I agree with you there. But it was an interesting case of, no, 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 hold on. Trust me, John. I know you're not seeing rushing yards from this guy right now, but this guy's a good running back, and that'll play out if we let the season play out. And I think that, that sure enough, that's one of those things that, just like we said, hey, it's not over for Aaron Rodgers last year, and we saw Aaron Rodgers just tear it up this year. David Montgomery was playing well, and now he's, he's been a good running back. Now he's got the opportunity to show it a little bit more. SISBets.com is back for 2020, and if you didn't make use of it last year, you missed out on easy money. SISBets.com is an advanced prop betting information tool powered by Sports Info Solutions. With it, you can leverage the power of our proven projections models to find value against the odds. You're never more than a few clicks away from knowing whether your favorite wide receiver is likely to score a touchdown this week or whether a quarterback that you have your eye on is likely to go over or under his completions prop. Just choose the bet type, the player, and the money line to see the SIS Bets recommendation. SISBets.com is available for just $9.99 per month, 
so it easily pays for itself. And that price covers both football and baseball. That means you can also take advantage of our most popular bet type, home run projections, which our users rode to a very solid 12% ROI in 2019. Sign up at SISBets.com. All right, we've done the NFC North. Now let's get into the NFC East. The next most important game for the playoffs is Philadelphia at Arizona. Now, Philadelphia is mostly out of it. They have a 21% chance of making the playoffs if they win this game. Uh, But this game is huge for Arizona. 74% chance of making the playoffs if they win. 31% chance if they lose, because if they lose this game, it puts them in a tie in the standings with whoever wins between Chicago and Minnesota. Looking at this game, I wanted to start off with Jalen Hurts and and the Eagles quarterback situation. It's amazing because we talked about throughout the year how Carson Wentz was not playing well, and and the Eagles' offensive line and the offensive weapons were not good. But at the same time, Carson Wentz was performing even worse than we would expect, given that the offensive line was committing blown blocks and the receivers were dropping passes and the the running game wasn't going anywhere. Uh, It was even beyond that. So I think what we started to see a little bit of evidence of last week is, is just how broken Carson Wentz was and how for moving to Jalen Hurts, it's not like this is a guy that I don't think he's ever going to be a, a tremendous passer. He, he, to me, Hurts, just scouting him coming out, he can't throw the ball as well as Kyler Murray. He can't throw the ball even as well as Lamar Jackson. So if he's going to win the same way that those guys win with his legs as well as his arms, I'm skeptical about his ability to do it with the arm. But when you throw for 150 and you run for 100, he at least gave the Eagles a chance last week, which, which I think was a big deal. Eagles are 26th in DVOA against quarterbacks rushing the ball. Cardinals are 29th in DVOA against quarterbacks rushing the ball. So there is going to be a lot of quarterbacks rushing the ball in this game on both sides. That's interesting to me because I would think the Eagles would prevent uh, present kind of a tough matchup. They're built really with their front four and uh, with their ability to kind of get to the quarterback with those guys there. Yeah, but that's another team where the off-ball linebackers are really questionable. Right. So if you try to spy Kyler Murray with one of those guys, good luck. You might, not, you might need to do something like what uh, the Chargers did against Lamar Jackson last year in the playoffs, where you're, where you're putting a lot of defensive backs on the field. Arizona has a real advantage in this game, passing the ball on first and second downs. I'd like to see Kyler Murray putting it in the air a lot. On first down, they're ninth. Philadelphia's defense is 25th. On second down, they're 6th, while Philadelphia's defense is 16th. Well, if you like uh, college football-style games and a lot of quarterback running, I think that's what uh, you'll find in this one. I'm I'm skeptical about uh, how for real the Eagles are. Like you said, it's still a long shot for them to make the playoffs. I know we all like their their roster coming into the season better than they've played, but you know we saw last week that the Giants had a lot of momentum. They went and played Arizona and got a little bit of a reality check. I think we could see more of that this week. All right, Cleveland at the New York Giants. Cleveland is at 93% with a win, 64% with a loss. Uh, I know that even seems low. It's because our numbers still don't like Cleveland, uh, even after last week's game, because their defense gave up so many points to Baltimore. Giants, 37% with a win, 8% with a loss. So this is an important game for both teams to make the playoffs. The Giants' offense, amazingly, given how they started the season and the fact that Saquon Barkley got hurt, is up to 7th in run DVOA. But they're down to 31st passing the ball, and Daniel Jones is clearly hurt, and I don't even know if he's going to play in this game. 
So the Cleveland defense is bad, but I don't know if it matters because who's playing quarterback for the Giants? Yeah, you're 100% right. The the Cleveland defense showed all of their cracks last week. You know, they they don't have much on the back end and we saw what Lamar did to them uh, kind of on the front end. And then looking at Daniel Jones, it's a hamstring now in addition to the ankle that was already bothering him, bothering him and it kept him out. And we talked last week about uh, Colt McCoy is not exactly striking fear in the defense. I wanted to touch on that Browns-Ravens game with you and, and see what your reaction was. Obviously, people are calling that the game of the year. It was a ton of fun. Uh, Lamar Jackson doing his hero thing coming out the tunnel. Did you have any, any reactions to that game in terms of what, how it played out? I think it emphasized a lot of what we already knew about these teams, to be honest. I think it emphasized what I was talking about last week with the idea that Cleveland's offense is underrated by DVOA because of the two high wind games and the fact that they had the two blowout losses. Uh, but Cleveland's, uh, Cleveland's defense may actually be overrated by DVOA because of the two high wind games. And I think you saw that. This is a team where the offense is just clicking way better than the defense right now. Denzel Ward being out doesn't help. Have you thought about an extreme weather variable to account for something like what happened with the Browns this year? This, the, the thought crossed my mind earlier in the year. Yeah. It's something I've played around with in the past, and would, I would love to be able to install that, that in a game that's one of those ridiculous high win games that we do do an adjustment to help us be more predictive in the future. I've absolutely thought about it. So total points does that for field goals. Total points, we'll look at that as we evaluate kickers and uh, stuff like that. Building something like that in on a larger scale is sort of risky because weather is such a big continuous thing, and then you you're you're finding a way to either make it continuous or setting a point at which this became a bad weather game, and then it becomes a sort of dichotomous thing where if you cross that line, it's one thing, and if you don't, it's another thing. And there are also sometimes offenses that perform well in those cold weather games. Well, it's not cold weather as much as it is wind. Wind, bad wind games, yeah. Uh, bad weather games, I would just call them because it can be wind, it can be precipitation, it can be below zero. It's those crazy games. So I remember the game from a few years ago where Miami and Pittsburgh played, and there was a punt where the, the it was such a monsoon that there was a punt where the ball just stuck in the ground. It just died right into the into the turf. I remember that too. Uh, the the other thing about the Cleveland Baltimore that I think we learned, like I, I was kind of lost as to how Cleveland lost Hollywood Brown on that big touchdown late in the game, but I think it, we saw again the fact that the Baltimore receivers have not developed. It's not all just Lamar Jackson. The struggles of their passing game are a lot have to do with the struggles of their wide receivers, and they and that that was a problem. Even with all the points that Baltimore scored in that game, that was a problem. Well, Hollywood Brown can't catch the ball. Um, it's a huge, huge problem right now. This is like, you know, it reminds me of Nelson Aguilar when he was with the Eagles a few years ago. It's been a real problem for Hollywood Brown this year. I do think he's capable of catching the ball. I never thought that that was the strongest part of the game, of his game. Obviously, he's a stretch the defense, take the top off guy. Always been a little bit of a body catcher, but it's really become a problem this year. And, and I'm with you that the offensive line, I think, is starting to settle in for Baltimore a little bit. I think they're starting to figure out how they can operate with Orlando Brown on the left side. Fluker's playing a little bit better in there now. They're kind of scheming around it a little bit. But the receivers, absolutely, it's been, it's been miserable. And it starts with Hollywood Brown because he's a talented guy. He can take the top off the defense. He's just got to catch the ball or, or they're going to have a hard time. 
The flip of that with Cleveland is, you know, like I said, the Cleveland defense is not good. And I think what it showed is they have certain players that are really good, but then the connective tissue is bad. Like Miles Garrett is a defensive player of the year candidate, right? Right. Miles Garrett's insane. Yeah. Right. Denzel Ward is out. Sheldon Richardson does some stuff and Ogunjobi does some stuff, but they're not playing as well as they have in the past. The off the ball linebackers aren't that great. The safeties aren't playing as well as you want them to play. Like, right. If, I mean, if they're built on Ward and, and Greedy Williams kind of there on the back end and those guys are hurt and leaving them exposed, you can understand why, why they looked the way that they looked last week. But, but even so, I'm with you. I think that this is a defense that's mostly one guy that's been accounting for almost as much production as everybody else combined in terms of what he does. Uh, I will say, just talking specifically about the Cleveland versus the Giants matchup, the Giants, I think, have cornerback depth issues past James Bradbury. Uh, they're 31st covering other receivers, and they're although they are strong against passes in the short middle, which is where Jarvis Landry lives. What about, uh, one more thing I wanted to talk on with this game, the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. I, of course, read this week an article about how maybe the Giants actually won that trade. Um, you know, if you look at Odell not playing uh, and you look at uh, the Giants having two starters that they've gotten out of that uh, with Dexter Lawrence and uh, the safety, uh, what's his name? Jabril Peppers. Yeah, Jabril Peppers. I think it's myopic. I think it misses the big picture to say that. The Browns are the better team than the Giants right now. The franchise is better positioned, and it's because of process over outcome. Sure, Odell hasn't worked out for Cleveland the way that they hoped he'd work out, but I mean, he's injured. It's not like he's bad at football. He hasn't been as good as they wanted him to be, as good as he was in New York maybe, but it's not like he's bad at football. And we have to remember also the details of that trade. The details of that trade had the Giants eating the signing bonus that they just paid Odell Beckham Jr. And that does figure in, uh, despite the fact that the Giants were able to get a, a guy that I really like in Dexter Lawrence in the draft, um, who I think is a, a, a helpful piece of their defense. I, I took real issue with even kind of the thought that the Giants won that trade because A, I think that that's trying to play the result instead of the process. And B, I think even if you play the result, I don't think it's true. Completely agree with you. And there's nothing that says that Odell Beckham in New York would have had the same injuries. He Perhaps Odell Beckham in New York is colossally productive and helping Daniel Jones along. All right, let's keep it going. You had one more game from the NFC East you wanted to touch on since we were talking on about all these other NFC East teams. Yeah, we usually do four games, but we'll do five this week so we can touch briefly on the Washington football team at home against Seattle. Now, Seattle's basically in whether they win this game or not. Uh, Washington is 86% in with a win, 53% in with a loss. Uh, the most interesting split that I found this week Washington is number two in pass defense DVOA, yet they are 32nd covering wide receiver ones. Ooh. Like they're so good at covering other receivers and uh, especially the pass rush. And yet they give up a lot of yards and efficiency to wide receiver ones. So DK Metcalf could go off. DK Metcalf came. Keep your eyes out for that. I, I can't believe here we are, Washington in the driver's seat in the decision. The, the WFT making me WTF. Especially if they're stuck with Dwayne Haskins, a quarterback, then you're really WTF. And, and here you go, strength against strength. So Russell Wilson against the Washington defensive front and pass rush you were just talking about. And then the, the porous Seattle defense 
against the Washington team that didn't even show any desire to really move the ball on offense last week. They, they were content to get by scoring their points on defense. Just put two guys on Terry McLaurin and you're fine. I don't know. When I look at this game, I really think that, that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, to me, this game comes down to they have to find a way to put pressure on the Redskins to score. I don't think the Seahawks should play conservatively, even if that is kind of Pete Carroll and, and Brian Schottenheimer's want. They need to find a way to score points so that Washington can't keep up. Uh, if they put enough points on the board, I don't think they're, that Washington can keep up. And I think the only way that Washington can keep pace is if they score on defense. So if I'm the Seahawks, I'm running max protect shot plays. I'm running bootleg play action on first down. I'm trying to push the ball to DK Metcalf. And if I get to third and long, that's when I'll play it conservatively because I don't want Chase Young, Montez Sweat to ruin my day on third and long trying to get something done against them. I think that's when you get into trouble. No reason to feel guilty about punting them the ball and then trying again to be aggressive next time you have it on first down. Yeah, I would be worried about Jamarco Jones subbing in at right tackle for Brandon Shell, who's injured, uh, and facing Chase Young. You've got to give him help. All kinds of help. Max protect, tight ends in there. You can't let them score. You can't let them decide the game there. That said, I still think you need to find a way to be aggressive. I don't think the way to play this game is to is to just run the ball into their defensive front and play a low-scoring game that, that plays into their hands. you got to find a way to push the ball down the field, but you got to do it carefully. Protect with tight ends and running backs and trust Metcalf and Lockett to get open. All right. Well, on that note, we will sign off. Thank you to all of the listeners. As a reminder, please leave a five-star rating and a one-word review. Uh, it's super helpful to us if you leave that, especially on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. He's at F-O underscore A shots. I'm at Matt Mano, M-A-T-T-M-A-N-O. And you can check out footballoutsiders.com for lots of great content. Aaron, what can the people find this week? Uh, we've got film room on what's wrong with the Las Vegas Raiders running game. We have a good FEI column about the difference between picking the best college football teams for the playoffs mm. and picking the most deserving college football teams for the playoffs. And are they doing this year something different from what they've done in past years? In past years, uh, they tend to pick the most deserving teams based on their wins. This year, they seem to be picking the best teams because when teams have all played different types of schedules, different amounts of games, it's hard to pick who's most deserving. So those things are up at Football Outsiders. Also, uh, walk through comparing Deshaun Watson to other quarterbacks of the past, like Archie Manning, who were in really bad franchise situations. I really hope Deshaun Watson doesn't get uh, Andrew Luck. That would be if if Bill O'Brien does to him what what Brian Grigson did to Andrew Luck. Uh, that would be disappointing. But hopefully, he's he's escaped from that, and there'll be there'll be better days ahead. I wanted to go back to what you were just saying about the FEI column because I don't know if you know this, um, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference who was on the Paul Feinbaum show yesterday with some strong words about the, the selection uh, and, and lack thereof of Cincinnati being, I think they're ninth, even though they're undefeated uh, with like eight wins so far this year. Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American, is my good friend Brett Oresco's father. I went to college with Brett. And uh, it's always fun for me when I see him on the news. So I'll have to pass along to the Oresco family that you have some research that, that might back up some of his feelings. Well, what's interesting is Brian Fremo believes that based on the idea of, you know, who's the most deserving based on the schedule they've played, it's Coastal Carolina, mm. not Cincinnati. 
that BYU that game. should be competing for being in the college football playoff. Very, very interesting. I'll make sure to check that out. On the Sports Info Solutions side of things, the number one quarterback in the world rankings are updated every week. And you can check out the free SIS Data Hub by visiting sisdatahub.com. Also, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, Sarah Thompson, our newest R&D talent, she put out a stat of the week about why Patrick Mahomes is the clear-cut MVP favorite, and it is fantastic. So you can check that out. And also, for all of your prop betting needs, check out sisbets.com. I've heard about some some crazy parlays that people have been doing. So if you want a, a, a quick, easy way to, to make some bucks, sisbets.com has all of your bet recommendations. For my co-host, Aaron Schatz, and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Matt Manicharian, and thank you for joining us for the latest episode of the Off the Charts Football Podcast.